Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. The Buzz on this episode, Cochise County has launched a program geared toward solving the opioid crisis in its rural communities. We speak with program officials and people who have been on both sides of addiction treatment to learn more about the program. Officials in Cochise County say the area has been dealing with an addiction problem for years. The Arizona Department of Health Services will not give firm numbers on opioid overdose incidents in the county, but since June of 2017, a department report places the number between 94 and 164. The addictions and deaths inspired people from government and private groups to band together and create the Cochise Addiction Recovery Program, or CARP. The goal is to help people who want to quit drugs get into rehabilitation programs and stay clean. The program's most notable achievement, a change in local policing policy. If a person walks up to a police officer and asks for help, they can turn in any illegal drugs without fear of prosecution, and they can get an immediate ride to a rehabilitation facility regardless of past wrongdoing or residency status. Bisbee Mayor David Smith leads the program. We spoke to Smith shortly after a recent meeting of CARP and asked him to explain the program. Well, it's actually a a group of many organizations that have come together uh, with the goal of reducing addiction and being actually uh, able to deal with the social aspects that come out of that addiction, such as getting people into recovery getting them into treatment after recovery, and getting them through being able to find a job. You made the statement that addiction is not a criminal justice problem. It is a social problem. Somebody will hear that, and they won't like it. Explain that statement. Well, and you know that statement also is, is made with my background as being a law enforcement officer in my previous life. The fact is, is the in my belief, and I think a lot of officers, a lot of police believe that the victims are the users. The addict is the victim. The criminal is the person that sells. It's not to say that uh, everybody within the area of illicit drugs is a victim, because that's not the case. But users are, and that's a that's a social issue. It causes a lot of uh, social problems, which bleed over into the criminal area, of course. In my opinion, if we remember that the addicts are victims, the sellers are criminals, then um, I think that uh, the system works a lot better. When you all came up with this program, you sent the police chief from Bisbee up to Boston to look at a similar program. Talk a little bit about why you did that, and what this program does to help. It's the PARI program, P-A-A-R-I program, and it was uh, came about in Gloucester, Massachusetts. The police chief, actually, in Gloucester uh, put it together, and it's a program in which an addict can come forward to a police department and say, you know, I need to get clean. I need help, and the addict can actually have heroin on them, and they can turn that over and it'll be disposed of in a legal way, and the addict will not be arrested for that. Instead, they will be transported to a detox facility and a rehab facility. 
it's been very successful up in the Northeast, and it's gone now branched out through the United States. And we felt that this was research indicated that uh, this was a viable program and it was something we should take a look at. And so with the uh, funding of Freeport McMoran, we were able to send our police chief to that program and he was able to bring back uh, a lot of really good information. The state has a similar program, the ANGEL program. Uh, it's operating only in parts of Maricopa County now. You all looked at that program. You looked at the program that had begun in Massachusetts and then looked at Bisbee and came up with your own program. It's kind of interesting. We uh, were developing our program based on the Gloucester program. And the state program is a fairly new program where ours was actually in the development stages before the state program was. We've recently been provided all the information on the state program, and it's not that we looked at that and discounted it. It's just that we chose to go closer to the Gloucester program. And as it turns out, we believe, or I believe, the state program's a little more limited. Well, the state program, for example, if you're wanted for any number of crimes, which often get tied to being an addict, you can't be in the program. You have to have a state ID to be in the program, things like that, which the local program d does not have. Exactly. We don't require an ID, as an example. If you've committed a drug offense in the past, we're still going to take you. It's my belief, and I think a lot of people in law enforcement believe that these are the very people that we need to target. Seldom does uh, a person get clean the first time through. You mentioned uh, funding to get the, the chief over to Massachusetts uh, in the winter, unfortunately for him, came from Freeport McMoran. Where's the funding for this program? Obviously, treatment isn't free. Right. Actually, the funding for the program uh, is coming from uh, the existing state and federal programs. Our group, CARP, is, is working without funding. Things like lunches and things like that are provided by some of the agencies involved. But the actual um, organization itself operates without funding. Uh, the treatment houses may certainly pick up some uh, funding, but they also will provide uh, treatment without that required funding, if necessary. One of the things that I've heard you talk about, I heard the police chief talk about, is the need for immediacy. When someone walks in the door and says, I'm an addict, I have a problem, I need treatment, it's not great, come back tomorrow, come back next week. It's immediate action. Statistically, it, it, it's absolutely required to be done right at that point. It's a life-changing idea to them to get clean. And if they make up their mind to actually walk in and say, I need to get clean and I want to do it now, that's the time you have to grab them. Because if they are allowed to go longer, they're going to need more medicine, in quotes, and they're going to have to get that from the very people that they need to stay away from, and so they're going to fall right back into that addiction cycle. And if that means putting them in a police car, not necessarily in the back, but driving them somewhere, then fine, do it. Oh, yeah, that is our program. We will put them in a police car if necessary, and we will drive them at that point uh, to a facility. Some may say, well, that takes time away from the police being out doing their other jobs. But talking to the chief and listening to you, it takes less time 
to go ahead and just get them into treatment? Well, absolutely. When, when you arrest somebody and you take them to the jail, you go through the booking process, you go through all the paperwork that needs to be done, that's many hours. The nearest facility is an hour away from us. So we can, in, within a two-hour period, we can complete that whole round trip and save another hour, two hours. You've talked about some of the places this program needs to go. There are people that you say you met, mothers very often, who have come to you as mayor and said, I have a heroin problem, but I have kids. I'm a single mom. If I go into treatment, I lose my kids. I'm not going into treatment. This sounds like something you're now trying to solve. There's two big areas. That's one, and and employment's another. But the first one to answer your question, I think, is probably the most important one. And that is to um, keep the children out of the um, state program. And that's in quotes that people are talking about. I don't want them in the state program, become a ward of the state. Then that mother has to show that she has the ability to take her children back, as an example. And so that's the big target right now for myself and for the uh, CARP group is to resolve just that. And we actually may have some possibilities in the fairly near future. After we started this, I sat down with seven addicts just around a table such as we're sitting at right now, just spent a couple hours with them, just talking to them about their addiction and whether they wanted to get clean and not. And it was interesting. Some didn't. You know, some went, you know, someday I'll get clean. Right now I'm really enjoying it. It was just like foreign to me, but the mothers in that group are the are the ones that are the real, the real um, uh, ones that uh, tug at the heartstrings. It's interesting you say you sat down with seven addicts. I don't know how many mayors could say they sat around a table with seven addicts. There has to be a level of trust you're building in the community to have seven addicts come to where the mayor is. Well, I'd like to think so. Well, I know that there's a a level of trust. And in that particular case, actually, I I went to them. But nevertheless, there was an intermediary that says, you know, I know this guy, meaning myself, and you can trust him. You know, Uh, he wants to find out what's going on. The first 15 minutes was rather structured and so forth. But then they were able to open up, and it was very enlightening. To make this program a success, is there anything you need from the state, from the federal government, basically, if you had 10 minutes in a room with Governor Ducey, President Trump, and you could sell them on the program, is there anything they need to do to help this program? Or is this working because it's done by local people for a local area? Well, I think it's a combination of both, actually. I I think it's working because we have a lot of good caring people and good caring organizations that have come together. But what we need, of course, from the state and from the federal government is what is always needed, and that's money. Because with money, we could get a property, as an example, for the children. And we could hire people to come in and to be present 24 hours a day uh, that are certified by the state to care for the children. So there's a lot of things that could be done that require funding. We look at that as the best case But we've got to be realistic and do what we know we can do. And then if something else, grants or whatever, become available, then we'll certainly look at those. 
When it comes to police officers dealing with this on the street, have you heard from the rank and file, the the cop on the beat, what they think of the program and how they view it? I believe I have. I mean, I've talked to several officers, and what I get is a lot of, first of all, empathy from the officers. Most police officers understand that this is really a social issue that that uh, is beyond the control of some of these people. Not all of them, but a lot. That they're there to protect and serve. I mean, it's that simple. And part of that protecting and serving is to try to help these people. And they do realize most of those uh, uh, officers realize that if this person is in rehab, then they're not going to be dealing with them in the future. That was Bisbee Mayor David Smith. Coming up after the break, we talk to a recovering addict who spends his time working with the Cochise County Recovery Program. And then we'll tour a halfway house that helps CARP participants learn to live a life without drugs. Welcome back to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, we're focusing on a program in Cochise County aimed at helping those addicted to drugs in the area. Dwayne Wallace has lived his whole life in Cochise County and found himself addicted to drugs early on. He's been clean for 13 years and works in Bisbee's Public Works Department. He describes himself as the technical advisor for the Cochise Addiction Recovery Program. I've been clean and sober for over 13 years now. You know, we joke and we call me a technical advisor, but ultimately it's, it is because I am a recovering addict and a recovering alcoholic. So I have a more of a low ground level view of at least what worked for me and maybe the mental state or some of the hurdles that a program like this might present or might run into. And then uh, also I am the product of something not exactly the same there was no official program. It was it was just a judge, a magistrate judge in Wichita City, and a chief of police who kind of did something very similar to me years ago to try to help me get on the path. From the ground level, uh, your view, what makes the CARP program potentially successful versus what we see so many other municipalities doing? You know, I think from, from the way I look at it is, for one, it has brought together so many different providers. Not necessarily hasn't brought every single piece of the puzzle, but a majority of them, from law enforcement to healthcare professionals to mental health. And that's, to me, that seems to be the best solution. Also, if you're at the point that you're going to ask a police officer for help, generally you're bottom of the rung, you've got no place else to go. And, and most of the time, those are the ones that, in my opinion, those are the ones who end up overdosing or end up committing more crimes or, or whatever it is. When you talk about being that bottom of the rung and you have no lower to go, how hard is it, especially since you've been through it, to walk up to a police officer or, or somebody who you've probably been trying to avoid for a long time and say, I need help. It's almost impossible because you're correct. The police officers were the one that I was going the other way. Um, I helped volunteer uh, on the 4th of July down here. We do the coaster races and every police officer was there. And I, if I was thinking more, I would have taken a selfie because I'd never been cl- that close to that many police officers without running away. And to be at that point when I'm asking the chief of police and a judge, hey, I need help. I don't know what else to do. For me, that was the lowest I could get. There is nothing else because you're asking the people you were the most afraid of, you know, probably other than yourself, for help. 
that that took a giant leap of faith. From now, I guess you know ground level and but still the outside looking in, I think that is the most, I guess intense. That is end of the line type of stuff right there when you're asking. You know, it's almost like you're asking your dealer. I would have ra- rather asked my dealer for help before I would ask a, a police officer for help. Uh, even though, honestly, I probably would have got more help from a police officer. How long had you been an addict when you got to that point? I, I think if I honestly look back at my life, I was probably always been an addict because I remember in the 80s, those diet pills, the Dexatrim, well, there's a little dot of speed in there. And I remember taking those from my mom and enjoying it. Or if my dad got some pain pills or whatever it was, I remember taking those. Um, but like active heavy addiction, oh, probably six years. And that was like six years of daily use. Methamphetamine. And then at the end, I was doing a lot of, this was, this was I guess, before this latest surge. Lots of heroin. For, for my speed, I think I, at the end, I was shooting up about a gram of speed at a time. I don't even know how much heroin I was going through because I was just mixing that in with the speed too. And now there were, there were some, some breaks in between. You know, I tried this rehab or, or this new guru thing or whatever it was, whatever my mom or preacher or whoever else could throw on me. You mentioned there were times where you tried whatever the Vogue idea of the day was. What makes carp different or is it really up to the addict to make carp different? All carp does is gives the addict a way to begin the process because it still comes down to the decision, hey, I want to get clean. At that point, it's still the whole time it's up to the addict. You know, you can have a million-dollar rehab facility like they, I guess they have in Prescott, or you can go to a place called Hoops House or, or Verhel's House, you know, which is Verhel's House has been here since 69, and it, it is an old building that was a tuberculosis ward, concrete building that's over 100 years old with no, well, they say it's got heat and cooling, but... Being a client there, you, you disagree with that. It doesn't matter if, at what level of treatment you get. It's whether or not you want to do it. But what I think CARP provides is just another way to get in the door and one that has more resources from the very beginning. They have the providers ready. They have a list. They have all those things ready for the addict. As someone who has fought the good fight for 13 years, what do you tell people about that experience, and does it get easier after 13 years, or is it still really an everyday fight? It's not even a fight for me, not an everyday fight, you know. There used to be a point, especially early on, I remember early on, that was tough, especially that, you know, that first month. You know, I'm all right, I got some sandwiches in me, I got a little bit of food, and, you know, I got a little money in my pocket. But it's not, it's, for me, it's not an everyday fight. I think it was probably about six months into this stint, into this 13 years, I think I just finally said, you know, it's enough. I did what it, I had to. I kicked people to the curb who weren't healthy for me. And I'm at the point, I don't think about drinking. I don't think about using drugs anymore. I just, I just don't. For me, being clean today is second nature. And I also make good decisions. I'm not going to go and hang out at a dope dealer's house or go hang out in the bathroom when there's four people shooting up in there. I know better than that. Maybe that's what it is. I've just been clean long enough to know what are good decisions and what are bad decisions. You're kind of on the inside and the outside. If you can give an assessment, is CARP a program that can work? And what needs to be done better? And what things do you think are going to work? As far as better, I'm not sure yet. Now that we are at our, almost like a bar mitzvah or whatever, it's time, right? It's time. Let's get it out there. Since we're at that point now, I guess we're going to have to wait and see. Because I think that is the biggest hurdle, is getting the word out. I do think that from a standpoint of what we have so far, I think we're ready. 
Dwayne Wallace is a technical advisor with the Cochise Addiction Recovery Program. CARP consists of more than just government officials and law enforcement. It includes people such as medical professionals and those working in addiction recovery. That includes John Hooper. He runs Hoops House, a sober living home that helps people return to the real world after completing a rehabilitation program. We started with the tour of the home in Sierra Vista. We stumbled onto this place and it has a pond outside with fish in it and uh, rose bushes everywhere that bloom amazingly two or three times a year. Uh, green grass, uh, beautiful shade trees. We have an indoor in-ground pool. Uh, I've always believed uh, that um, because someone is, uh, just because they're in recovery doesn't mean that they can't have some of the things that everyone else has is while they're getting their recovery and some of the little bit of luxuries and appreciate what, uh, what uh, uh, they're getting for um, the time and effort that they're putting in because it's difficult. It's a journey and 50% of them, at least the numbers I have here, do not succeed. So uh, it's, it's, it's a, an ongoing battle with this disease. You said 50% do not succeed. Some people may see that as a high number. Is it higher than other facilities? The average when we were looking into this across the board, if everybody does in a two-year plan, in a two-year plan, it runs about 67 to 72% in that range. But that's a two-year plan. Um, that's more than what, what I'm offering here. Um, I can't speak for other programs uh, and what their, their numbers are, but we're running probably around 50% success rate. We are a little different in, in some areas of other programs. Um, when they come in, if they accept it after an interview, when they come in, they, uh, we make sure their insurance is in place for their treatment. We uh, make sure that uh, if they're eligible, that they get food stamps. And then we also get them into outpatient treatment. And then they have to get a job. And so rent is $500 a month. 10% of their net pay goes into a savings account. So when they complete the program, they have this lump sum of money and we help them with housing and or a car or paying off fines or getting their driver's license or whatever. It's all available. We believe that recovery is a complete program. You know, it's a complete life change and that's we work on the way they walk talk dress how they carry themselves how they treat people so it's pretty structured and it's something that uh, takes a minute for them to learn what made you decide to start hoops house obviously that's a big undertaking Uh, what would possess you to to want to do that well 22 years ago i had my own issues i never went to a recovery home but i got in the field about nine months after into, into my recovery um, and I wanted to start giving back. It was always my dream and I saw the success rate jump when people would actually have a structured, stable environment for them to learn how to live without getting high and drinking. I spent the early part of my years living destructively and hurting people and hurting myself and I just kind of made a commitment that I'd start uh, giving back. You said uh, everybody that comes in has to get a job. Jobs can be hard to come by, especially in a small town like Sierra Vista. But with that background of being an addict, obviously that adds to the difficulty. How do you help these guys get jobs? Well, I develop relationships with the community. Um, I have strong relationships with McDonald's. I have strong relationship with a couple of construction companies. 
call center. We have a relationship with a trust company. And one of the bigger ones that we have is a moving company. And it happens to be run by my sons. So we have a kind of this marriage and they hire Hoops House guys and put them to work and it helps them, it helps us. And truly in the, all the years that I've been here, I've never had anybody go without a job more than a month. You've been a COO, you've run facilities. This mm-hmm. is a very different facility than I would imagine a lot of those are yes. uh, budget-wise alone. Uh, you picked here, you picked this. What was the magic of this type of facility versus, I'm sure, what were successful facilities, big facilities, bigger budgets that you had worked at? Well, I just think it's something that I, over the 20 years uh, that I've been in this business and with my own history, it was uh, something that I created. You know, I, I do things a little differently. It doesn't make the other places wrong by any means. Our goals are all the same. It's easy to mistake kindness for weakness, and they will, you know, survival mode kicks in, and they'll start trying to manipulate, which they all do. They are full of BS when they first come in. I just measure that BS because I've been there. Is this the kind of thing you want publicity for, or do you want to keep it small and quiet so you and the guys can concentrate on what you and the guys need to concentrate on and not have all this publicity, if you will, that kind of thing. I would actually, I want a publicity for many reasons. One, to give more people an opportunity of that it is here and, and the chance for them or anybody that wants to refer people here. I, I love that idea. And I actually, I want it to grow to a point where it's just not statewide, but countrywide. So when somebody punches in recovery homes or halfway houses or whatever they want to label them, on that list is Hoops House. I mean, we've had people come from Florida. We've had people come from Colorado. So the more uh, publicity, I think, is only better for the opportunity for people to come and then know that this is here. I'm not so much on growing. I mean, I have difficulty financially as it is. Do the guys who graduate, uh, do they tend to stay in the area or are they like everybody else and they're in the wind? No, majority of them are around, and like when we have graduation, uh, probably eight of those guys that are up there will be back here for the graduation. We encourage that. Unfortunately, some of those guys on the walls are in prison. You know, they went back and made unhealthy decisions for themselves, and they're not doing well. But that's the decisions they make. They've gotten the tools. That was John Hooper. He runs Hoops House, a halfway house in Sierra Vista. And that's the buzz for this week. Tune in next week as we stay on the topic of opioids. We'll speak with Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich about his new lawsuit against OxyContin manufacturer Purdue Pharma. For our regular Arizona Spotlight listeners, a reminder, Spotlight now debuts on Thursday mornings at 8.30. Zach Ziegler produced and edited the show. Jim Blackwood is our audio engineer. Andrea Kelly is the news director. And our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.